This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Crystal Pain Show. Today, we're going to do something really different, and instead of our usual segments and a lot of practical topics, I'm going to devote the entire episode to a conversation with Rachel Nielsen. I actually got to know Rachel when she signed up to travel all the way to South Africa with me and a few other blog readers back in 2016, and I vividly recall standing with her waiting in line to go to a Bethel Music Conference in South Africa and having her tell me her beautiful and heart-wrenching story of infertility, adoption, and IVF. Her journey to motherhood has been full of disappointment and struggle, but also triumph and joy. And I asked Rachel if she'd be willing to come on the show and share her story today. And so we're going to take the entire episode for Rachel and I to just have a conversation, because I think the topics that she's going to share are going to resonate with every single person listening. Even if you've never struggled with infertility or you aren't considering adoption, I think that you will be encouraged and inspired by what she shares because we've all, no matter where we are in life, we've experienced disappointments, deaths of our hopes and dreams, and we've also seen beautiful things come out of the really hard things. So thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. It is a true honor. I'm very excited to share my story. I'd love for you to take us back to the very beginning of your marriage and tell us what were your thoughts as far as motherhood when you first got married? So I knew from the time that I was a teenager that it was probably going to be difficult for me to have a baby, but the doctors told me that it wouldn't be impossible. It would just probably take a little work. And what's interesting is that as a teenager, 
I don't think I fully understood how hard that would be, but I did have a little inkling. I remember driving, I was about 17, and that country song came on that was like, I never was the same again. Do you know the one I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And he talks about how his dog died in the first verse, and then um, he never was the same again. Then he met his wife, he never was the same again. And then the last verse he talks about um, his wife having a baby and that sharing that experience with her and how he never was the same again. And as a 17-year-old, I just pulled over to the side of the road and just sobbed thinking, what if I never get to have that experience with my husband? Mm. Um, and so as as the years went by, I got I got married when I was 21 and my husband knew that we may or may not be able to have biological children. And he was on board with that. But I definitely knew that I wanted to be a mother. So it was from the time I was a teenager, I was like, well, maybe it'll be adoption then. We'll just see. So for the first few years, I was in double and I taught high school English and um, we weren't getting pregnant, but that was okay because we were both, we were just in a phase of life that it was okay that we weren't having babies yet. But then a few years in, I started to wonder, okay, this isn't happening, so I should probably go see the doctor. And we actually decided to do fertility treatments and ad- the adoption process at the same time. Wow. Okay, stop, knew- stop right there. Tell <laughs> yeah, me. Sorry. Okay. So most people that I just, that blows my mind that you decided to do both because for people who don't know, like the fertility treatments, it's a really huge commitment of mentally, emotionally, physically. So to decide to do adoption and fertility treatments, tell me, tell me about why you made that decision. Well, because I didn't really know either. You know, I was just like young and naive and I'm like, well, we really want a baby and it honestly doesn't matter to us how it, how it happens. Um, love the baby just as much either way. So let's just do both at once and put it in the hands of God and see what happens. And it seemed really like that made sense. But I didn't know yet just how hard the infertility treatments would be on my body, nor how hard I didn't know how hard the adoption process would be emotionally. So Mm. had I known those things, I probably would not have done both at the same time. But yes, we, we just embarked on both at the same time. So while I was going through fertility treatments and taking the medication and that makes your hormones off and you kind of, you're not yourself. And then to have these really invasive medical procedures every month. Um, I was also, we were also filling out all the paperwork and getting contacts from um, expectant moms who were considering us to adopt and talking with them and waiting to hear what they decided. And it was 18 months of just the biggest emotional roller coaster as we did both of those things at the same time. Did you have good support around you? Like how, how did you survive those 18 months? I think survive is a really good word for it. And (laughs) that's, that's something that I often tell people like they'll, they'll ask me, well, what strategies do you have? And I do, I have some advice, but I really think sometimes with infertility, it is just about surviving. Like you just, get through the day. But I was very fortunate to have a very loving husband who supported me and prayer. Like I feel like I've never prayed harder or more fervently than Mm -hmm. those 18 months. 
and um, really great friends and my sisters. So I did have some wonderful people to talk to during that time. And yet, even with all of that, it was probably, it was some of the hardest of my life, even with that support. And so I'm like, just hang in there. I always say that to any woman who's going through infertility treatments. I'm like, it is so hard. Just hang in there and give yourself as much grace as you possibly can. And so did it feel really lonely? Yes, it felt extremely lonely. And one of the things that I think I wasn't expecting was to feel lonely in my marriage even Mm. because even though we were experiencing the same loss in a way, um, he wasn't <laughs> like I, yes. I was going through everything physical and he, I just felt like he can't understand this as much as he wants to. And, um, I do remember one conversation where I said to him, can you believe how all-consuming adoption is? Like, I can't think of anything else ever. Like, it's just always on my mind. Isn't that crazy how it consumes everything? And he looked at me and he wasn't trying to be snarky or anything. He just, but he said, well, what is there to think about? And I was like, I was like, I'm going to punch you right now. I mean, I didn't, (laughs) but I was like, holy cow, we are not experiencing this trial the same way. Mm -hmm. And that, can be a really lonely realization that even the person who's the closest to you in your life, who is in essence experiencing the same trial, isn't like they're not feeling the same things you're Mm -hmm. feeling. And that can feel really lonely. So what would you say to the woman who is listening right now, who maybe she is in the middle of the fertility treatments and she's feeling really alone? So one thing I feel like is important to just accept the fact that your spouse isn't going to feel the same things that you feel and he's not going to be able to read your mind. And so you really need to know what you need and you need to express that and make it happen and not expect your spouse or anybody else to just know what to do for you. And so I'm like, even though we were students and we were really careful with money, I still like I went to see my sister for a long weekend because I really needed that time with her Mm -hmm. and just different things that I I went to Ryan and said, Hey, this would really help me if I could spend time with, with Sarah, can I go see her? Or I could really use some help with, you know, getting the house cleaned tonight or whatever, because I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And he was more than willing to help once I just told him what I needed, even if that was just, I need to go to bed early and rest and cry myself to sleep. So just being like really in tune with what you need and not expecting other people to figure it out or fix it for you. I think that's such wise advice for all relationships that no matter where you're at of stating your needs, being willing to put that forth and state your needs instead of getting hurt or feeling rejected or upset or angry because someone didn't read your mind. Yes, definitely. And I'm grateful that I learned that fairly early on in our marriage because it has that continues to be the case even now that we're past that particular trial. Mm. So during the um, infertility treatments, then I know that you you had a lot of different treatments. Can you tell us what all happened during those 18 months? So I um, during that initial time that I went through infertility treatments, we did 
I took medication. So a lot of people take Clomid. I think I took Femera instead of Clomid because it was better with my body. And then um, I did artificial inseminations. And I did like seven months of artificial inseminations, which is way too many. And I've talked since I've talked to um, an IVF doctor and he's, he told me if after three or four months of inseminations, the chances of that working are so slim if it mm-hmm. hasn't happened within three or four months. And so you really should move to the next level um, instead of continuing to put your body through that. But I, I didn't know that. And I just, I just went with what I was kind of told by the doctor at the time. And I did get pregnant at one point, but it was an ectopic pregnancy that was super hard and emotional because mm-hmm. I got the the positive pregnancy test and then the doctor called and said, no, there's something really alarming going on with the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go back and forth and do blood work and determine and all these internal ultrasounds to figure it out. And in the end, it wasn't uh, it wasn't actually a viable pregnancy. So that was really heartbreaking. And then I had to have surgery to correct that after that happened. So that's kind of the, I never did move to the next level of fertility treatments at that point, because once um, we were, got a pretty firm, um, my son's birth mom contacted us. I, I just, I can't keep doing this anymore. So we stopped doing the fertility treatments at that time. Well, 11 months. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I cannot even, I can't even imagine. Um, and so in the midst of then all of that and that up and down, then you were being contacted by birth mothers. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So we went through an adoption agency where we had our profile online with lots of other profiles and birth expectant moms could just reach out to us after they read our profile and get to know us better. And and we had a lot of contacts. There were about eight birth mothers over the course of that 18 months who pretty seriously considered us. And mm-hmm. so we would talk on the we'd talk on the phone and we met several of them. Um, some of them chose us to adopt, but then changed their minds later on. And so that was really emotional because you sort of feel like you're being interviewed to decide whether or not you'll be a good mother, which is not what is actually happening, mm-hmm. but it feels that way. Yeah. And so that was a lot of emotional up and down, especially because at first I just didn't know to protect my heart. And so our very first contact was probably the hardest because I was all in and I thought this little girl was joining our family and she was two actually. And so I saw pictures of her and talked to the her great aunt in depth who had custody of her and then it it didn't work out and I was shattered. So mm. after that, I just was much more careful, just always remembering like these babies aren't mine. These babies are are their mothers and rightfully so until their mother makes that decision and signs the papers essentially. Like they're they're still not mine until everything is finalized. And so then Noah's birth mom contacts you. T- tell us about that. When Noah's birth mom contacted me, I mean, I can tell you about the the exact moment because, of course, I'll never forget it. I was driving home from school because I was a high school English teacher and I saw a number come through on my phone and I just thought, I think that this is a birth mother, which is would be really unusual because it's not like our phone number was published on our pr- adoption profile. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, something in me just said, like, I think this is a birth mom. I don't know why. 
But I answered the phone and I heard this shy, tentative voice. And she said, is now a good time to talk? And right then I knew like this Mm -hmm. is a birth mom. And she said, my name's Katie. I'm 16 and I'm pregnant. And I was wondering if you wanted to adopt my baby. And she just like, put it all out there. (laughs) And of course I just pulled right over to the side of the road. I was completely like, there's no driving anymore. And just talked to her and said, like, tell me more about it. Has the baby already been born? And she kind of told me her story that she had seen about our desire to adopt in a Christmas card that her family had received from my Mm mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law had mentioned that we were looking to adopt. And Katie had just found out that she was pregnant and had not told her parents or anything. But she read the Christmas card and thought she just felt something and thought, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And then a few months later, when she told her parents that she was pregnant, she said, I really feel strongly about adoption. And there's this couple in this Christmas card. Wow. So (laughs) I know. And they hadn't even read the Christmas card. So they didn't know what she was talking about. It had just been like on the counter and she'd read it and somehow it got in a pile. And so they hadn't seen it. And they're like, what Christmas card? And luckily they'd saved them all and they found it. And it turns out that my mother-in-law is Katie's father's cousin. Mm. So we had never met her, but it was like a distant relation. And he said, you know, they're related to us, Katie. And so that's how she had my phone number and called and talked to me. And I just felt really strongly. We talked for about an hour. She told me all about her life and herself. And I actually talked to her mom. And I just felt really strongly that this could be it, that this could happen. I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I won't say that I was like, yes, for sure. This is solid because I, I'd been hurt too many times before, Mm -hmm. but something just felt different about it. And I was so tired of doing the fertility treatments that I, we decided this is it. And so we stopped doing any of the fertility treatments and just invested in our relationship with her and really prayed our way through it. Cause she was only about 16 weeks when she contacted us pregnant And it was really a sacred experience to get to go through the whole pregnancy with her. Really hard to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, because sometimes I wouldn't hear from her for a month and I'm like, what is happening? Or she'd email me and say, I was snowboarding yesterday and (sighs) took, (laughs) took a hard fall. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. But we went out and met her on the 20-week ultrasound, and we were there on the 20-week ultrasound. And then I was actually in the delivery room when my son was born, which was the most sacred experience of my life by far. It Mm -hmm. was incredible. Mm -hmm. So what was that like being in the delivery room? Tell us about that. It was, like I said, holy. I mean, it was sacred and also so emotional to see her suffer through that kind of pain and to see him come into the world and be right there. And she did the whole thing without an epidural. So she was just like so tough and such a rock star. And yet as he's coming into the world, she said to the nurse, I want Rachel to be the first person to hold him. And that was just, I mean, I am not a crier at all. And I actually worried before that I wouldn't cry and that people would think I was insensitive for not crying because I don't usually cry. Mm -hmm. But right when she said that, I mean, it was just like sobbing and there was no controlling it. And they handed me this little baby and I just 
sobbed over him. My husband was right outside the door. And as soon as Katie was covered up, he came right in and hugged me. I was still holding Noah. And then I just ran, ran right over to Katie and showed her this miracle baby. And we have the most precious pictures of, of me holding him and crying and me showing him to Katie and then her holding him. And I have never felt heaven so close. It was Mm -hmm. because that is true love. Like all of these people who just want the best for this baby Mm -hmm. in this room, pouring love on him and experiencing that, like that kind of sacrifice that she was willing to go through for him. It was extremely holy. And you made the decision to have an open adoption. Yes, we did. I always knew I wanted that. I felt like it would be the best thing for the baby to know his story and where he came from and why his parents chose adoption for him. I also felt like it would be the best thing for the birth mom to be able to continue to know that her baby was okay and loved and cherished. But what I didn't realize was how much it would bless me and my life to continue to have that relationship and that openness with my son's birth parents. Mm. So what was that? What was that like? Tell us about that. So that was the next chapter of our story. I feel like this really has been a journey and navigating the open adoption was really the next big chapter and kind of hard thing to figure out in our story because I had to overcome some feelings of possessiveness and I was a brand new mom. And so I was trying to figure out how to be a mom and then to also have this other relationship happening. And Katie was a teenager. And so she really like was into social media. And so she would post pictures of Noah and talk about my baby. And I'm like, I don't know, like, is this... Um, is this appropriate? And it was just really complicated at first. I always loved her so deeply, especially after what we had been through and experienced together and being in the delivery room with her. Like I just will always, always honor and love her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that made it easier, but I definitely had some kind of like natural man tendencies that, I had to overcome in figuring out how we were going to do the open adoption and how much contact they were going to have with us. So that was a struggle because she grieved really hard and understandably so for, I I think the first few months she was really kind of smitten with the adoption, but then probably six months when he was about six months, she really started grieving and expressing her grief openly. And then I had lots of feelings of, did we ruin her life? Like, mm-hmm. is everything is everything going to be okay? Is this healthy for her to see him? Is How is this going to work out? And I just didn't know how it was all going to work out. It was really difficult to figure out. And how often were you having communication with her then at that point? We talked to her or texted or emailed probably, I'd say probably at least once a week at first. Noah's birth dad as well has been really involved in his life, which has been a huge blessing. Mm. So I would say we saw them probably three or four times a year that first and second year of Noah's life. Okay. And then after that, how, as he was getting older and stuff? As he was getting older and as she was still grieving pretty hard, I just remember one night reading something that she 
had written on Facebook about missing her baby and the grief that she was going through and feeling so confused because I completely understood her grief. But then I was also like, would it be better if we pulled away? Is that, would that be best for her if we pulled away? And I just felt like what, I just didn't know what the best thing was. It was just so confusing. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. And I just started praying. Mm -hmm. And I just remember fervently praying and saying, I don't know what to do for her. Um, what should I do? And mm -hmm. the, the thought came to me so clearly, so clearly, I can't even express that when someone is hurting, you love them more. Mm. And I'm like, that's, he was like, that's the answer. You don't pull away. When someone you love is hurting, you don't pull away from them. You love them more and you pour love on them. And it was like a turning point in our adoption story. It was like all of a sudden the switch flipped and it was no longer me trying to figure out how much time is appropriate or kind of how much time do I have to give? It was more, how much time can I give them? Like, what can I do to involve them more, to love them more, to send her care packages and pictures and just really make her feel a part of Noah's life and of our family so that sh maybe that will ease some of her grief. And it changed everything. Like mm -hmm. it, released, it released me from all of the negative, hard things with adoption and just set me free to love. That's so beautiful. And I just think of people in our life who are difficult to love and so much of the time I try to think they're they're hurting and that's what they're acting out of. And I need to, I don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes, but I can love them. And that's just so yeah. beautiful for you to just lean in when you wanted to just kind of run away because yes. it was hard. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we did. And I'm telling you, it was a shift. I've always been very gracious and loving to her because, and genuinely, I really did love her. But inside there was this turmoil that I don't think she knew was there. And so I don't think that the shift was even so much for her as it was for me. Like I just, all that turmoil was gone and I was so free to love her that it just became easy and exciting to involve them more mm -hmm. in our family and in our story. And so then the story has played out very differently than you would have envisioned. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So our story just continues to evolve all the time. And I just, I never know like what the next chapter is, but I do know now that God is directing it and that like love is the answer. Like that's just what I keep coming back to. Um, so we had about four years of just, awesome, awesome connection and relationship with his birth parents. They actually got married. Mm. And that was, um, that was interesting for me to kind of navigate because I'm like, they're going to have biological children. Like mm -hmm. Noah will have full, full blooded siblings. Yeah. And this was four, this was four years after they placed Noah for adoption. So they, they didn't get married right away. They got married later and Noah was actually their ring bearer at their wedding. Wow. Um, I know, which at first I thought they asked if he would do it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, again, it kind of goes back to. And then I just thought, of course, like he's part of their love story. He's 
you know, he's the closest little boy to them in their life. And it's fine. And it was the most beautiful day. It really was. It was just like love had come full circle. Like these, these teenagers had made this decision for their baby. And then now they were young adults and committing to love each other. And so it just was such a beautiful day. And I really thought that that's kind of how the story would continue, that they would be married and that Noah would have biological siblings and we would figure it out and that it would just continue as this beautiful love story. And then things got really hard again. And um, Katie struggled with severe depression. And within a year of Katie and Drew marrying, they decided to get divorced because of all of her struggles. And but Drew like really continued to love and support her and just be a rock for her and for Noah. But they did divorce and her mental health just continued to decline. And then about a year ago, Katie took her own life, Mm -hmm. which has been just the most devastating thing for our family. But the beauty, the thing that I came back to. So when I got that phone call, I was actually in an airport and um, I was in between flights And when I got back onto my next flight, I was just staring out the window and just sobbing, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And all I could think was, I am so grateful that I loved her. Like, Mm -hmm. I am so grateful that four years ago, God answered that prayer and told me to just love her and pour love on her. And so I have no regrets. Like, she knew she was fully loved and treasured and cherished by us. And Noah knows her and has memories with her and has beautiful pictures that he'll always treasure his whole life. And I just thought this story could have gone so differently if we would have chosen fear instead of love and if we would have pulled away instead of leaning in. And so that was like my biggest consolation on that day that we found out about her death. Mm. That's just, I mean, it's so heartbreaking. And yet at the same time to just think, Every day we have choices to make and choices in relationships and the way that you chose, you can now look back with so much gratefulness that you chose that love. And I just think what a testimony that is and how I just hope so many people listening right now are just thinking of that person in their life that they need to lean in and love because they never know how much that person is hurting and what they're struggling with and just to lean in and love them even when it's really hard because you're never going to regret that. Yes. And I have since talked about this experience. I, um, I have a podcast and I talked about this experience. And one thing that I really pointed out in that episode that I want to point out is that loving people can look different depending on the situation. And in some adoptions, it wouldn't have been healthy for us to be as close to the birth parents if the birth parents weren't safe for the child, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that that is definitely the case in some adoptions. And I think that can be universally true as well. Like in some relationships that you have, maybe it's not safe to like invite that person into your home or continue to have them really close. But I've just learned that in whatever way you can, you can still love and respect them, even if it's from a distance, even if in an adoption, it's more closed or completely closed. You can still speak with reverence and love 
for the birth parents and recognize that there's a story there that maybe led to whatever behaviors are, are making them unsafe for the child at the time, but just to continue to like choose grace and love over fear, even if that is from a distance, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's such a wise thing to put out there because loving people does, it's going to look different in every situation. And what works in one situation is not going to be the healthy thing in another situation. But clearly in your situation, the choices that you made were really divinely appointed choices because you had Mm. no idea how this was going to play out. And I just think for Noah, the gift that you gave him of having that relationship with his birth mom and the gift that you gave his birth mom of just that love and walking with her. And you never know how much and how deeply that touched and impacted her. So thank you so much for sharing. I know there's more to your story and I feel like there's more that's still being written um, of your story, um, more to come, but I would love um, maybe where people can find you so that they can follow you and read more of your story. Where would you encourage them to go? Yeah. And I thank you, Crystal. And I completely agree. Like that is one thing I've learned. This story is not over. (laughs) Like it will It will never be over. There's just so many chapters. And one thing that I would add for anybody who's going through infertility right now is to just have faith that like your story is still being written and it's going to be beautiful. I really believe that. And in the end, I was just so grateful that my body didn't work because Mm -hmm. that's how I got my Noah. Like Mm -hmm. if my body would have cooperated and worked the way I wanted it to at first, I wouldn't have gotten him. And so God knew and like there was a story for my life being written, even though it was so hard at the time and I didn't know and I still don't know what the full story is. I just am so grateful for Noah and the love that I've everything I've learned about love from the experience of adopting him. Mm -hmm. So so thank you so much for letting me share the story. And yes, so I have a podcast. It's called Three in 30 Takeaways for Moms. And each episode is 30 minutes long and it has three doable, actionable takeaways. And a lot of them are really practical, like parenting experts come on. Crystal is actually going to come on my podcast this week to talk as well. But I also do share my heart there and do some of these solo episodes where I talk about adoption and different hard things and just the takeaways and the things that I've learned. So people can go there if they want more of my story. Thank you so much. And I know there's probably women who I'm just going to totally put you on the spot here, but probably women who would love to connect with you and maybe email you because they are going through something similar. Would you be willing to share where people could contact you if they want to connect with you? Yes, absolutely. So Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L at 3in30podcast.com is the best place. And I... I love adoptive moms, birth moms, women going through infertility. I get it. And yeah, feel free to reach out to me if you need some support. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, just for sharing and being willing to go to some hard places in your story to really encourage other women that, you know, I think what you said about because your body didn't work, then you were able to get Noah. And I think for just any woman who is listening right now, who's feeling hopeless or desperate or just really discouraged because you are in a place that just feels so hard and devastating. I just want to encourage you that you never know what the end of your story is going to be. And so 
don't give up. I think if Rachel had given up whenever it was just a few months into the fertility treatments or, you know, a few birth moms and just been like, this is too hard. But there was this beautiful story that was being written and she had to stick with it and stay the course and go through a lot of really hard things in order to be able to experience so many beautiful blessings. And so what a gift, Rachel, for you to be willing to share your story. And I know that this is going to touch so many women's lives. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.